0: we must understand that the grace of God and understanding the grace of God is a prerequisite for body ministry. It's because of that grace which we shared last week that is sufficient. That literally provides for all of humanity's needs. That's why we can say, like on the sign out here, there's grace for that. Everything that people need, there's grace for that. So communion is no different. It is a demonstration of the grace of God. Let's look in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And let's look at... He calls this grace... We talked about this when we taught on giving. Uh, grace being a giving in which it is. But he said, verse 9... "...for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich." Now let's get this fixed in our mind. That even though, the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, how many knows Jesus was rich, before He came to earth as the manifested Son of God... He was rich. And this word rich is Plutus. Plutus, which means to be richly supplied, to have affluence of resources, so that you may give blessings of salvation to all. We have a term that we use in this society called Plutocrat. A Plutocrat is someone that is so stinking wealthy that they couldn't even give it away because they have so much. And there's people in our nation that are like that. People around the world, are, some of them are like that. But notice that. He left that opulence of heaven and descended. But notice what it says here. It was rich. Yet for your sakes. Whose sakes? Our, our sakes. You think that's in vain? He, he left the opulence of heaven. And notice this. That for your sakes, he became poor. And that's the word for abject poverty. He became poor. uh, Potikia, which is destitute of riches and abundance. It's actually a beggary uh, estate. He became that way. When he took on the form of a human being, he put all of the opulence of heaven, all of the riches of God away and became poor for us. It's not that he needed to be poor so he could identify. There's something called the great exchange. Jesus exchanged his wealth for our poverty. He exchanged his total health for our sickness and our disease. He exchanged all that. See, So so Jesus became poor. In Psalm 22 and 6, we see there, this is the great chapter before chapter 23 of the great shepherd. But Psalm 22 is a picture of Jesus and what happened to him. And in verse 6, he says, I am but a worm and no man. He became that. See, It's interesting though, a little bit of research, you'll find that that word worm is the, is the Hebrew word tola. Tola worm. The Tola worm was the worm that was crushed for its crimson color for the dyeing of the king's garments. And he said, in saying that, these people knew when he said that I am but a worm. They knew. He's calling himself a Tola worm. And we, knew what, we know what that means, that he would be crushed for the dyeing of the king's garments. Amen. I'm telling you people, when you became one of his... You were clothed with a robe. Glory to God! You were clothed with His righteousness. You were clothed with His ability. You, you are in Him, and He is in you. Amen. Amen. So he he, he he through His poverty. Notice that He said that you through His poverty. I like to put the word so so that you through His poverty. It's the same word as poor. Through His poverty you might be rich. That's the same word that Jesus used. That's the same word of rich that it says here about Jesus. Though He was rich, for your sakes He became poor so that you, through His poverty, not through any other medium, Not through your fasting. Not through your praying. Not through your giving. Not through your legalistic giving of tithes and offerings. That a lot of preachers would like for you to believe that you get rich that way. But he said through his poverty. This thing is a gift to us, you see. This life we have from him is a gift. And what did I tell you the word gift was in the Greek? From last week? Charis. It's a grace. So your richness... Your, your wealth in the kingdom of God is a grace. And if it's a grace, it can't be earned, can it? It's impossible to earn grace. In fact, it's an affront. It's an offense to grace for you to think that you can do anything to receive from God. I mean, the very moment that we do that, redemption's out the window. Because it's by grace through faith that we are what? saved it's by grace through faith so so everything that comes from god is by grace through faith faith gains access remember romans 5 1 or 5 2 i refer to that quite often it's that because of what jesus did we have access it says there in that verse into this grace By faith we have access. What does access mean? Behind this property right here, behind this house that's next door here, there is an alley. It's an access. See, it causes us to be able to go across the property. When you own a piece of land, if there's no road to that land and it's in the center of somebody else's land, by law they have to give you access to your property. It's a law. So he's saying here in Romans... He said, by faith, we have access into this grace. And he says, wherein we stand. We have access. See, We have availability. Anything that we need from God, it's grace, and we have access by faith. See, grace gives us access into that which was previously unaccessible. Human beings, mankind was locked out of God's blessing until Jesus became what we were. So that we could become as he is now. See, I sound like Joel Osteen there with a smile on my face. (laughs) But but he he became what we were, see. And since that, we all have access. We're no longer locked out. We're no longer on the outside looking in. We're on the inside looking out. Remember the little song I sang to the children a while back? I'd rather be on the inside looking out than be on the outside looking in. And, that, and that's the state of being that we have. We have to arm ourselves with this attitude. An attitude, I know Dr. Roy Hicks came time, one time down to Ramah when, when we were school. It was probably January or so in 1980. He came down and held a seminar and he said, I want to talk to you about the concept of looking God downward. You're seated with Him. We have a superiority complex to the world. Amen? Our our identity, who we are, it determines from what base that we operate from. And we operate from where we are in Him. And that is raised above and seated with Him in heavenly places. That is exactly the attitude we have to arm ourselves with. Or we'll always be under. We'll never be over. We'll always be under. We'll always try to be fighting our way out of sickness. Fighting our way out of uh, uh, problems, of financial difficulties. But like the sign and the t-shirts are going to say, there's grace for that. Thank God, no matter what people are facing, there's grace for that. And we are the instrumentation that God wants to use. He wants to anoint us to go forth and demonstrate His power throughout our neighborhoods, throughout the context that we make, so that we can impart uh, uh, healing and cure and peace uh, to people's lives. Does that sound good? Sounds like good news to me. I realize we don't walk in these things. I'm, I'm not walking in the totality of it myself. But I'm not getting rid of the attitude until the Holy Spirit tells me what I'm uh, allowing and how to quit allowing it. You know, I'm going to keep my attitude about it. See? So, so in talking about communion and, and what God has given us access to, We have to realize, we have to have a revelation of His grace. And a revelation of His grace involves all the sacrifice that He made. And what it was for, what it afforded us, what it did in our place. How He took our place. He died and was buried and rose again in our place. When He was raised from the dead on that third day, you were raised from the dead on that third day. Amen? Now, the quickest way to cut your finances is to get in unforgiveness and walk in strife with people. That that is the number one surefire way you're you're throwing the door open wide in your life and saying, Okay, devil, come and destroy my finances, or for that matter, anything else you want to do that that when you go ahead and get in strife when you let that little thing that offense that someone may have done ever how small it may be if you let it stay there it will begin to grow and fester and I'm telling you you will be a mistake waiting to manifest because you it cuts you off it it prevents you from receiving from God it cuts your finances I mean, you You can give your legalistic tithing dollars from the day, I mean, you know, as the day is long, and it will not correct the strife and unforgiveness you're walking in. Go ahead and give it. I mean, Jesus taught a little bit about this, you know. He said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remembrance, remembrance that someone has ought against you, and I think you can go ahead and say vice versa. You have awe against someone. What does he say to do with that gift? Leave it there. Leave it there. So don't go don't, don't to the box. Oh, yeah, I remember. I got to get No, you leave it in the box. We, we will appreciate that come bill time. But what you're supposed to do, now notice how he said that. I was going to have you turn there, but since it's on the top of my mind, I'll just talk about it. Since he said that, he he said, he said, Leave your gift there, go be reconciled to your brother, sister, whatever it may be, and then come back and do what? Notice this, a very, very important part. What did he say do after you come back to the altar? Huh? Repent. Yeah, but what did he say do about it? You you have repented. He said, then offer your gift. Notice just because you left it in the plate, left it in the blocks, it wasn't offered yet. It was there. We can use it, but you're not enduring any benefit from it until you get this out of your heart. And then you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I give this because I love you. And I love people. And I'm telling you, blessings begin to flow. Because you've got it out of your heart. Now the devil, is, he's a very, he, he is a military genius. And, and sometimes we're so ridiculously ignorant that we don't know the, what he knows. But he knows these dynamics. And he knows if he wants to keep you pushed down, he knows which button to push. He, know, he knows what lever to pull. He knows exactly how to get into your psyche. Yes, start troubling you. And build something up. I mean, I, if you meditate on stuff too long, I mean, I, and, and Terry will tell you, one of my biggest faults about me is looking back. Because it's so clear <laughs> what I have done and, and what I have not done. It's so clear. But I need, you know, and I love what somebody said the other day. Uh, that's why a rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so big. Because you're not supposed to really keep your eyes on that rearview mirror. Because you, you, you'll wreck it's the same way with uh, us, and the devil will see to it. He knows exactly what to do. He may have uh, your sister come over and just start needling you, and you know, and it just, you know, you know, he knows. He knows all of us. He knows exact. He's very familiar with mankind. But Jesus said, "Then offer your gift. First, be reconciled. Then offer your gift. Glory to God." But a lot of times. We'll come and plunk our legalistic dollar into the offering plate without dealing with the things in our heart about our fellow brother and our uh, sister. And then we think that we've done our job. And so we say, and you get get a lot of these scriptures out about finances and start confessing them. Lord, I thank you that I'm above and I'm not beneath. I thank you that I have more than enough to meet every need. I thank you. And you start quoting all these scripture concepts back to him, and he's just sitting there tapping his toe waiting on you to get your heart right because he's not wanting to withhold anything but you are putting up a screen to keep him from blessing you see because these things are not dealt with and you say yeah but I gave big some kind of deal you know this this, this, thing, this little thing right here this offering plate I forgot to get the iPad out so we could take today but this, this thing has become an item of worship well, you know, I gave. And God said, if I give, you know, He'll give a hundredfold return. Taking Scripture out of context is not going to help you any. We walk around with these crusty things in our heart that keeps the Holy Spirit from moving and flowing through our lives. You say, yeah, but, but uh, what if I can't remember? That's why He said, when you come to the altar, come to the Altar. You know the money's not the thing that's bowing itself before God. You are. See. So we come before the altar. Now let me tell you something. And I know this is going to sound bad. Some of the prosperity preachers will really pick up on this. They'd like they'd like to start preaching this, but I don't mean it in a bad way. An offering and an altar are synonymous. You see me, you mean because if I give a lot, that means I love God or not? See, that's what the prosperity preachers would like to put on you. But you can trust your pastor. I'm not trying to do that. Because when you offer yourself on his altar, that is the greatest offering. Remember the song? Take me to the king. I'm bringing myself to you. I'm I'm putting myself on this altar. What I have in my pocket is just a subsidiary. It's just an addition. And He says there, when you kneel there, and you what? Remember. So that's what we're going to do today when we receive communion. That's what we do every time. The Holy Spirit, His job is to cause you to remember unless you've blocked Him off. That your hatred and strife and variance and malice is so strong... Because He's gentle. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He will not force Himself on us. So if you're so legalistic, and you're so, you're, your heart is so hard about your fellow brother or sister or whatever, then in fact He cannot move in your life. Does this make sense? Relationships are extremely important to God. And should be to us. If you'll just take a quick survey sometime and you don't have much to do and take a couple of days and just start reading how much Jesus dealt with relationships. It'll it'll, it'll astound you. Relationships are so important to God that, that He puts it ahead of everything else. You can sit around and tell him how much you love him all day long, but if you don't love your brother, says there, doesn't it? Isn't there a scripture about that? If you if you if you say you love God, who you have not seen, and you don't love your brother, whom you have seen, how dwells the love of God in you? How in the world it just it doesn't compute? It doesn't work that way. See this smoke screen that human beings have. We can fool people. My article that's coming up this week in the newspaper. I deal with this. a a good deal is that we put a smoke cream I call it a mask and we can fool people yes sir but if we convince our own heart that we are a certain way and we portray that to everybody else then we are sabotaging our own heart because you can fool me I mean, as far as I'm concerned, y'all are real nice people. You know, I I don't have anything against any of you, even those that are not here today. But you can fool me. I've been waiting for 10 or 11, 10 and a half years for this woman to show up because I couldn't believe somebody as sweet as this woman. But she showed up. I mean, it's her. What you see is what you get. I mean, she's precious to me. When you spend 29 years with somebody that wasn't, You kind of get gun shy. Anybody ever done that? So what happens in that dynamic, see, and and there's so many, and and when I was writing that article for that paper, what came up in my spirit, Joanne, was about the little girl down here at the corner at the the, uh, gas station on the, what would it be, the north side of 412. And, 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 my, and I, I, I went in there the other day and I, I, said, I bought a paper and I said, read this article. And she said, I said, I'm the pastor over here. I said, and she said, I will. So when I was writing this one for this next week, I had her in my heart. So here's the dynamic, Dee Dee. That when we portray something to other people, that we know in our heart of hearts it's not really us. We can't have any self-worth. It can't bolster us. It can't make us feel better because inside, we know that's not the real us. And we know that they like what you're portraying. They really don't like you because you're, you're fake. See, And so that, that's how I say when you sabotage your own heart. See, and, and I see people do that all the time. Facebook and social media per se has facilitated that. Because it's easy to plaster your page with pictures of you and your love for your family, but when you know on the back side of it, behind the scenes, you know, you could bite nails over them. See? So it's real easy, and everybody thinks that you're just on top of the world. You cannot have you cannot have real true relationship. Without personal contact, it's impossible. See, and social media has facilitated that. I think it's a it's a it's an evil scheme from the devil. But I'm trying to use I, everything that I am about is trying to speak the word into somebody's heart somewhere. That's the only reason I'm on there, other than trying to see my pretty babies and grandbabies and all that. But but you know, as far as just putting stuff up. I want to speak into people's lives. See, now strife is a is a violation of the very grace it took to save you. It's a violation of that grace. So, as I said a moment ago, it is it, it is an invitation to the devil to give him full access into you, into your family. You say, yeah, but you don't know what they did. I don't care what they did to you. And you know what? God doesn't care what they did to you. He wants you to bring it to Him. He wants you, like the song said, He wants you to lay it all at His feet. You may not have much to bring, but you can. I'm telling you what, He's your Savior. He has your failures, He has your diseases, He has everything wrong, as well as He has everything that's right about you. Lay it all at His feet. Lay all of your successes at His feet. Lay all of your failures at His feet. I have. I, sometimes I'll just be looking around in the past and pick up a thing or two of them and Teru will usually remind me, you know, you don't need to look at that. See, I, I've hurt, I, hurt, I hurt thousands of people when I backslid. I mean, thou, thousands people that just like you that had great confidence in me. I hurt thousands of people. And it bothers me, you know, because I don't like hurting anybody. You know, one of the faults I have is is I. I, It's hard for me to deal with people that don't like me. It's hard. It's because I. You know, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to be. But I, you have to realize and grow up that everybody's not going to. Amen. But I don't need to have an opinion about them and stuff. So this morning, the very act of communion itself testifies. That Jesus set us free from division and strife. He set us free from that. 1 Corinthians 10, let's look over there for a minute. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. That's why I don't like using crackers, although we have some today. But what I want you to do when this is handed out, I want you to take that round cracker and I want you to break it in half. Because what that reserve, what that represents is the breaking of the body of Jesus for you. Notice what Jesus said to the disciples when he handed them. He picked out the middle wafer. We talked about the other time about what that middle wafer was. Uh, The Jews thought it represented Isaac, but no, it represented Jesus. Jesus took that out, that second wafer, that middle wafer, and broke it and said, this is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Why did he add that? Because He wants us to remember that He was broken for us. That He was pulled apart for us. That He sacrificed for us. And those hurts and those bruises, bruises, and those pickings and all of the condemnation and all of everything that people want to lay on you, he took it for you. So you breaking that today represents that. And don't be surprised that the Holy Spirit will bring supernaturally to your remembrance things that may have happened way back that you have stuffed so far down in your heart that you cannot remember it naturally. And he'll bring that before your face and you'll just say, Thank you, Jesus. For becoming that hurt, thank you for becoming that. I've had to counsel people who have been viciously abused by their own parents. My son uh, ran a a, a center up in uh, Colorado Springs. I mean, you know, decade ago probably or more, uh, and and he had to deal with children. It was just children in there that had been so abused in every way you can imagine that they couldn't even hardly function. Those are the kind of hurts that Jesus took. So when you have your t-shirt on and someone asks you, grace for what? You ask them, what's wrong with you? What problem do you have? And you be bold as a lion and stretch forth your hand and heal their bodies and cast the enemy out of their beings. And you just give them the peace of God that you have inside. See, so this is, a, this is a calculated strategy that the Holy Spirit has given this church. I realized that last Sunday after I got through that this, that this phrase, there's grace for that, is the answer for the communities and the people that we are in contact with. See? So you step out there and you give that to them. That grace. You have it. You have it. The enemy doesn't want you to know that, but you do. So we are one body. The breaking of Jesus' body is the representation of the spiritual body of Christ. And He knew how things were going to be with us. Uh, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 11 then. It's just a, a few pages or maybe the next page over. He says in verse 17, He said, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better but for the worse. For, first of all, when you come together in the church... I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Well, all all Paul would have had to done is go into one of the modern-day churches and he would fully believe it. Because there's divisions. In fact, in fact, I mean this is crazy. In fact, the word denomination means division. The, The word. I think I mentioned this before. It was sort of like that guy, that the old guy that walked in wanting some money out of his account. The teller said, uh, well, sir, what denomination? And he said, well, Presbyterian. <laughs> so, so the word means division and we, we have capitalized on division in the body of Christ and created denominations, divisions uh, of people who disagree with other people. I call them nations, But anyway, I shouldn't say that probably. So he says there are divisions. Schisma. Schisms is where we get our English word from. I- interesting, schisma means a tear. A tear, a dissension. Paul said there's divisions among you. So you see, in keeping in context with this passage, which we, we have to, That's why he wrote what he's about to write about communion. Because of the divisions. Now notice this. He says, For there must be heresies among you. The word heresies here is the word for disunion. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating everyone takes before other his own supper. And one is hungry and another's drunken. And then verse 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Now I remember back home, usually some people back in the, you know, the free will Baptists and some of the real people that just barely are into the 19th century, let alone the 20th. You know, they, they'll read something like this say, you know, we don't believe in having them church dinners. Because the Bible said, don't you have houses to eat in? You know people would be stupid about anything. He said or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For he says, I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. In the same night that he took bread, you know what the Holy Spirit told me about this scripture 2 days ago? He said he took bread because of the betrayal. And that's what you need to do. You need to take bread because of the betrayals and the hurts in your life. Cool bashana. The thing that you need to do when you're hurt, when somebody offends you, is you get home as fast as you can and get your wine, your grape juice, and your bread out and you have communion. You observe communion over that hurt and get it dealt with. Don't let it go on even one day. Get it dealt with. Run to the communion table when you get hurt. Offer it to the Lord and say, Father, it's not going to grow in me. You're going to take care of it and eliminate it from my heart. If you want to be proud and arrogant, then you'll say, oh well. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. The words hurt deeper than the sticks and the stones do. Yes, In fact, they last a lifetime. Amen. See? Amen. So you have to get rid of it. You have to, don't just wait till church time. Don't wait till communion service once a month. You go then. You ought to have your, you ought to have your communion set uh, in your house, ready. I think the, the Morrises do. And, and take that communion every day, just to make sure. He said, as often as you do it, he didn't say once a month. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of my breaking, doing it in remembrance of what I shed for you, my blood. See. I'm, am I yelling too much today? I get excited about these things. In the same night in which he was betrayed. You talk about a betrayal. Have you ever really followed what happened? I've got a whole series sitting back there I'd love to do for you sometime. What to do when you've received the Judas kiss. Uh, Rick Renner preached that to me probably 82. And I mean it changed my life. So I, I just outlined it and made it my own. And I'd sure like to give it to you sometime. What to do when you receive the Judas kiss? All of us have. Well, one of the things you do is bring it to the Lord. The same night in which He was betrayed, the same day in which you are betrayed, which you're hurt, which you're offended, take that offense to Him. His shoulders are are very huge. He can bear it. Verse 24, And when He had given thanks, He broke that bread. And took it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show what? The Lord's death. He died for you. We're showing it every time we do this. We're glad for it. I rejoice in his death. Why? Because I'm telling you, it was you and I on that cross. He became what we were. I'm glad. I mean, I went, when I watched The Passion of the Christ the first time in a theater, people were sitting around crying, I wanted to stand up and clap my hands and rejoice because that was me up there going through that. That was you. Jesus took our place so that we don't have to endure that. The sad thing about it is all these precious people out there that are being hoodwinked by the enemy whether through religion or just absolute licentiousness, they are going to have to experience the same torment that Jesus did by not receiving Him. That's the message we need to tell the world. Tell them to look at what Jesus went through. One day I'm going to do the message there in in, uh, Psalm 22 and Psalm 88. Which is the graphic, graphic picture of Jesus in hell. I'm going to show that to you. And I'm telling you, the world needs to know that. Because when they reject Jesus, that's what they're looking forward to. See, Amen? But notice this. Get back to the scripture here. Wherefore, verse 27. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Not unworthy. Unworthily. How many knows that Jesus' blood made every single human being on the face of this planet worthy? Worthy. There's people that's worthy of salvation that's going to hell. Jesus' blood made them worthy. So he's talking about doing it in an unworthily means in an unworthy manner. So how would you take this today when we hand these elements out to you? How would you take this Unworthily today, D.D. You got any ideas? How would you take it today, unworthily, in an unworthy manner? By not believing in what it says. Okay. Somebody else. Somebody else? Uh, having, a in your heart. having strife. That's right. The way that, which is both uh, they're right, both right answers. When you receive this today, if you're not discerning the Lord's body. That's each one of us. You don't realize that we are the body, like he said in 1 Corinthians 10. Are we not one body and one bread? So by not discerning that, when you, pers- when you receive this, you are saying, I don't care about that aspect of the Lord's body, but I'm going to receive this anyway. What does Paul say you're doing to yourself? You're eating and drinking Damnation, which is the Greek word that we would translate condemnation. We are bringing condemnation upon our own lives. Paul said it verbatim. For this cause, many of you are sick and weak and some even sleep, which means are dead. Didn't mean they're going to hell? Nothing like that. It's just not a heaven or hell issue, issue here. it's not a heaven or hell issue this means that you are opening that door again that brother Tim McFall told us to close you're opening that door again and say well I just can't forgive them but I'm going to take this communion anyway look out don't come to my house because I, <laughs> I don't want that kind of calamity in my home. But, you know. Sort of like I told somebody the other day that said about getting people to pray for them. I said, You better be careful who you get to pray for you. Because some people don't know how. Amen. I mean, they'll pray something stupid like, Well, Lord, if it be your will. That just I mean, that right off says they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. It's God's will for people to be healed. That little kid laughs at me a lot. What a legacy I'm using or losing. <laughs> Let's get back to this. I'm not even got through the first page. Teru said, you're going to be able to finish this message. I don't know. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread. Notice that it didn't say, let a man examine himself and you find out you're unworthy, don't take of it. It said, let a man examine himself. The word examine here means the word to judge yourself. Judge yourself. You say, oh yeah. I'm judging myself. I'm in unforgiveness towards so and so. Father, I just choose right now to forgive them and release that out of my life and their life. See, when you have have ought against somebody, when you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, stand up here, sweetie. When you hold unforgiveness towards somebody, say this piece, this book is unforgiveness or strife or whatever the offense was. Well, let's say that's what it is. And so I'm holding it against her. That means where she goes, I go. Where I go, she goes. We're not free, are we? That's right. So when Father, when we, when we give it to Him, and we release that, I'm releasing Teru, and I'm releasing myself as well. That's the dynamic of how, how forgiveness works. Aphemia is the Greek word. It means to release, let it go. Sort of like the... I don't want say that. Let it go. There's a popular song the kids like. Let it go. What was that girl's name in that movie? Elsa. Elsa. Y'all know about Elsa? Let it go. Let it. Well, that's what we can say today. Just let it go. Thank you, Jesus. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body... And notice this, verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Let's let's say it the way the Greek word says it. If we krino ourselves, then we would not be katakrino. The word kata means down. In other words, we would not be putting ourselves down in judgment from God if we would judge ourselves. So this morning, when you receive this, if something comes to your head, about an offense may have happened 50 years ago. You just say, Father, I thank you. That's covered. There's grace for that. Amen? Amen. He says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. The word chastened doesn't mean hurt. It doesn't mean scourge. It means corrected like a child. And that's what we're doing today. This word is correcting us today. See, And, and that's chastening of the Lord. Uh, so that we should not be condemned. That means to, be, to reach a verdict against. So that we won't have the same judgment passed on us that the world has with them. Amen. Glory to God. So, some hurts. Some hurts in our lives run so deep that it seems impossible to forgive them. It's, it seems impossible. I, I just pray that I haven't hurt anybody that deep. I may have. Shoma Katai. You know, we live our lives primarily on a day to day basis with our emotions. Our emotions, I call it emotions, energy in motion. We, we live our lives based on our emotions, usually you know, as a, as a normal routine. And when we're hurt, it's the emotions that are hurt. And they'll, they'll live deep-seated in us. Let me just step off a little more in this. The emotional realm is where the demonic activity can flourish. It doesn't mean it's in your spirit. Your spirit is born of God if you're a Christian. But in the emotional part of us, the mind, will, and emotions is in the soul. In that emotional part of us is where demons will want to inhabit. They will want to function. They will want to carry out whatever hurt. There's millions of different kinds of spirits, but they will want to carry out that hurt in your life and make you stay there. So, emotions cannot be dismissed, emotions have to be turned. So the only way to turn an emotion is through the Spirit. Praying in tongues will will build you up and will turn your emotion. Yes, you'll have a memory, but it will no longer hurt. Amen. In other words, it's said this way in the Scriptures. You won't remember it against them anymore. Yeah, you can remember it. My God. I mean, we have a brain. But But somehow when this supernatural occurrence of turning comes from God in your emotions, you know what, that, that doesn't raise those feelings anymore in me like it used to. Glory to God. Most addictions are emotional addictions. I remember when I smoked cigarettes. I mean, I'd get out and I'll tell you I'd reach for one and I'd, get, I'd go out and I could not get it off of my mind until I stopped and bought me a pack. Emotionally addicted. It was just something to do, you know, something to do. And in the meanwhile, it was destroying my body. So, so there's a lot of things we live our lives on our emotions, and 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 the enemy is a professional at damaging people's emotions. So, we need to get those turned by the Spirit of God. First Peter chapter two, verses one through twenty-five. I cannot do all that right now, so I urge you to either get this CD. And so you can remember where it was, or write that down and and read that. The whole chapter long is dealing about relationships. How important relationships are to us. I mean, it, it, is, it is so incredible. Deuteronomy chapter 25, if you'll turn with me there, verse one, we'll we'll go to Isaiah 53. You've heard me talk about this before, but there's something else I want to bring out about it that I haven't before. Isaiah 53, and then Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Now let's go there first. Now this is what happened when Jesus was brought before the judges, the Sanhedrin, the people in charge of crucifixions, uh, of uh, meeting out punishments. In fact, if you want to make a little side note here, in Psalm 82 and verse 6, it, said, it is the quote that Jesus made when He said, Have I not said in My word, ye are gods? Remember that? It's little, it's little g. That you are gods. But Psalm 82 and 6, did you look that up? No, it's fine. But he, it, that's where Jesus was quoting from. And what that means, the word God's there, and I remember back in the faith days, way back in the early 80's when the faith boys got a hold of this. Oh yes, bless God, we're gods. That means we're... In Listen, this, this term in our society today is called police officers. That's what this term meant. They were judges. These police officers have a code that they go by, hopefully, and they mete out the judgments of that code. See, if you, if you don't believe it, go from here to Woodward in your car at 75 or 80 miles an hour and they will pull out the little book on you and read to you the code that you can't violate the speed limit. So they are gods. They are judges. They are officers. It's the same thing that Jesus was referring to in the little parable over in Luke chapter 6... Where he says, Agree with thine adversary whilst thou art in the way with him, lest the adversary deliver you to the judge, you know, and you will be cast into prison until the debt is paid. That's the same dynamic. The officer, the judge there, the adversary, of course, is the one that you're in strife with. Agree with him because if you don't, you're going to be brought before the judge. Well, now notice what happens here in Deuteronomy 23. Because this is where this came from. Deuteronomy 25, rather. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges, the police officers, may judge them, then they they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be that if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten... There was prescribed law for that. What do you know the procedures here? That the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face. Now understand what that means. Have you got the picture in your mind? He's having to lay down, but he said before his face. That means he's laying with his back to the ground and his face up. Now precious people, Jesus Christ was beaten the same way. They said His visage was marred more than any man. History says that you couldn't tell whether He was male or female. And it was just by the mercy of God that they put a loincloth on Him to hang Him up there because that was one of the punishments was humiliation because your your privates were exposed. So I'm glad, you know, they did they did that. But they said that the history points out that you couldn't tell. So these little pictures we have on our walls with Jesus hanging real pretty on a, you know, a little weak, skinny. Listen. Jesus was a man of men. We have to bear in mind that he just got off a 40-day fast, so he had lost weight. But he was strong. They could he couldn't have carried that cross being a little weak, milk-toast kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. So they laid him down and they whipped him just like this. He said, "Cause him to be beaten before his face, according to his fault, a certain number of stripes. Forty stripes he may give him, and not exceed, lest if he should, be, should exceed, and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Thou shalt not muzzle the corn, blah, blah, blah. Now, Isaiah 53. Surely, verse 4, He hath borne our griefs. What was griefs? Griefs represented sicknesses. Does anybody have any sicknesses today? Jesus bore that. Let's say it this way. Since this is our new deal, there's grace for that. Amen? Amen? He said, Born our sicknesses. A reference there is Leviticus 16, 15. And carried our sorrows. What's with sorrows? It can be translated pain or diseases. Why? Because diseases bring pain. So Jesus bore that, right? We got that down. It's nailed down. Jesus bore those. You believe that? He bore your sicknesses, carried your diseases. Jesus bore This arthritis that wants to fasten itself to my knee joint. I've informed it that it has to be gone. The the arthritis cannot live. It's just inflammation. Arthritis is inflammation. It's an invasion. Your body does that so that it's trying to protect itself, but it's stupid since the fall, so it's not protecting. It's making it worse. So I've informed it that it can't stay. It has to leave in Jesus' name. I'll be confessing that even if I have to go on the surgery table. I'll still hold to what Jesus bore for me. Okay? So we got that nailed down. That's the physical part. Notice this. He says, Yet we we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But, He was wounded for our transgressions. Now there's the sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity." What's the difference in iniquity and sin? Iniquity is the condition of it. We we were shaped in iniquity and born in sin. In other words, we came into this world with a sin nature. Iniquity. The carrying out of iniquity is sin. So he He was bruised for our iniquities. Notice this. The chastisement of our peace... Was upon him with his stripes, we are healed. So that doesn't have to, it's not talking about you being healed in your body, your physical. He's already dealt with that. Not talking about your sin. He's already dealt with that. What is the stripes for? When he was laid down, he was striped for, he was with his stripes, we are healed. Healed how? Inner healing, emotional hurts, everything in your life that's gone wrong. It, it, Jesus was striped for that and what an awful price He paid. This shows you how much, how much emphasis Father God has on whether you are healed inside or not. He has empathy and sympathy and has, has compassion for people that's out there in the mental wards, that's out there in the hospitals, that's out there in the homes like my son used to run with kids that have been so hurt and violated that they can't even function. To be used so bad by your Father that you can't even go to the restroom. My God. Jesus bore that. And we're sitting around on our thumbs thinking about everything else in the world trying to get by in this life without ever even giving ourselves over to prayer. Help us, Jesus. I want you to take as, a, as, a, as an assignment this week. I'm not going to be able to get through this. Luke chapter 6. And I want you to go through that. I want you to realize that verse 27 is equivalent to verse 37. Verse 28 is equivalent to verse 38. Verse 29 is equivalent to verse 37 part of it. Verse 30, he talks about something that every single person pretty much in America has entertained doing. And that is going to law against somebody. Suing somebody. Suing people is the way today. You know, that's the American way. Suing people. Jesus said, don't do it. He said, yeah, but you don't know what they did. You know, I can't, you know Jesus said in that passage, he said, give to everyone that asks thee. If he takes your cloak, give him your coat also. If He sues you for your car, give Him your pickup too. That's in this, that's its essence what He's saying. You say, yes, but, but how can we ever survive if, if you know, where people are coming in... Listen, the only reason... Now this is, this is kind of bold here. And I don't know all of you this well, so I don't know who's done this or who's not. When we choose as a, as a child of God to sue people, not just Christians. I'm talking about sinners too. There's a couple of things that comes up about that. When we choose to sue somebody, we're saying, Father, I do not believe that vengeance is yours. I do not believe that me standing in your word and in your love takes care of the situation. So I'm going to handle it myself and get me an attorney and I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to get me a big bunch of money. Another thing that comes up in my heart when I think about suing somebody is that since I am giving myself to prayer a lot, I cannot intercede for someone and sue them at the same time. Amen. Amen. So what are we going to do? There's no condemnation for me. I don't care how many people you sue. But I'm just telling you that Jesus said not to. He wants us to trust Him. And He will work it out. I'm telling you, Jesus has a way of breaking. You come out on top no matter what happens. He can turn the heart of the judge... I don't care what it is. You know, I mean, you have to defend yourself, but you can go before them in the, in the strength of the Lord. You can get you an attorney and, and say, hey, this is what I, how I want to deal with this. I, I'm not going to counter sue. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to let this go in Jesus' name. And you're going to see God bring this whole thing full cycle, and I'm going to be on top when it's done. That's the way we're supposed to handle those type of things. And I know a lot of people. I have relatives. They're probably going to hear this. That, uh, that, that don't believe what I just told you. See? I was raised by a prince of a man. Frank Chumley. Franklin Delano Chumley. Yeah, he was named after the president. And he was Democrat. But that man was a prince of a man. He had a moral aptitude about him that was impeccable. He would not sue anybody. There's things happened in their life, my mother and dad's life, they could have. My, I'm not going to tell the names because they're, they're, I know one of them is going to be listed. Someone was brought a lawsuit against uh, someone in my family and it wasn't right. It was a lie. Total lie. And the court system believed the lie. And it was against someone very close to me. And the judgment was given out. They had to pay this person had to pay that person $10,000. Well this person didn't have $10,000. And you know what? They never paid it. Nothing was ever done about it. And it's now probably 30 something years later. So you see, Jesus has a way of, if you'll keep your heart right, stay out of strife and unforgiveness. Jesus has a way of bringing these things up. And I'm telling you, He will vindicate you. Vengeance is His. The Lord says, I will repay we don't have any business trying to do that. Our job is to love people. That, that, you know, think about that. Our only job is to love people. Well, that simplifies everything. That, that enables you to minister to them. Because you've got the wherewithal. You have the grace of God residing in you. You can give them all these things that they need. If we'll just keep our heart right, and it, and it, won't, uh, it won't hurt. So in that passage I want you to study in Luke, I want you to point out wanna point out